Good morning, Mission View Church. It's good to be together. It's good to worship. It's good to just sing these concepts. And I hope they're not just concepts for us. I hope that we understand how good God is all the time. It doesn't really matter what our life circumstances are. God's goodness never changes. He sees us through the hard times, the good times. He is faithful to us all the time. And I'm so grateful that we have a God like that, that we serve, and that it's just incredible that we have that ability just to worship God this morning. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the second half of it. Um, we had started uh, last week on the Gifted series. And as we started this Gifted series, I said that up front that we want to make sure that the Word of God is our authority. We, even though there might be some disagreements along the way, we can agree to disagree. But the, the, what I'm going to do is try to take you to the Scriptures and give you the best understanding of Scriptures that I, that, that, that I can do in, as your pastor is in leading you. And I hope that that's exactly what happens as we go through this whole month as we look at his word. Um, so turn to 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to be looking at 12 to 31 here in a few moments. Um, I don't know if you had this experience. For those of you that have elementary age kids, I'm sure this will ring a bell. Uh, for some of you, you don't have kids this age yet, but you will. So you'll experience this probably about the first week of December, and it's what they call Santa's Workshop. Does anybody know what Santa's Workshop is? Santa's Workshop is where your kids get to do all their Christmas shopping for about $5. So they go, well, maybe inflation has increased it to $8 nowadays. I don't know. But at Santa's Workshop, I know for my kids, when they were in elementary school, they looked forward to this because this is where they were going to be able to do their serious shopping for mom and dad and for their brother and sister and or for their siblings and just... They, they so look forward to it. Now, what was amazing about my youngest son is that even though he was given $5, he was able to buy something for every single person and yet have money left over to buy himself a gift. He felt that that was important that he do. So in, in Santa's workshop, you go and you go buy these gifts. And of course, on Christmas morning, mom gets to open that little change purse or maybe that, that necklace, and you could just see it in the eyes of the giver how proud they are that they're able to give this gift. And of course, the siblings get a, some kind of a toy, and we're all happy. Now, you and I know that it's a cheap gift. It was, I mean, obviously, if you get a gift for that 75 cents, it was pretty cheap. But in the eyes of the giver, it's invaluable. In the eyes of the giver, it's something that expresses a unity and a bond within a family. I want you to think about our spiritual gifts in that light. Here's the one difference. It's not Santa's workshop. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't a cheap gift. It was a very expensive gift. And next week, as we look at Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to see how expensive it was. Uh, 
But understand it's for the bond and the unity of the body of Christ that God has given us gifts so that we can be mutually edified and encouraged and that there is a unity within the body. God gave gifts for that purpose so that the body of Christ can be built up. And so I'm excited that we get to continue on to learn about spiritual gifts. Now, you've received an outline. Every week I'm going to give an outline during this series because there's probably a lot of information and I want you to be able to take notes. And so just by way of review, last week we covered this, that there, the, the, the definition of a spiritual gift is that it is a gracious gift given to us by the Holy Spirit for the building up of the church. It's a gracious gift given by the Holy Spirit to build the church up. Now, when I say build the church up, please understand it means to move the church forward in its mission. See, God's given gifts. Some of you have gifts that mix with your talents and you have a major on the outside. You're, you're, you're in the community and your giftedness may pri primarily be seen outside the church. But then there's some of you that you have a major uh, in terms of your giftedness that focuses on inside the church, the building up of the church. But either way, it's to move the church forward. God has a purpose for our spiritual gifts, and it is to advance the mission of the church. It comes through the Holy Spirit, and it's used to build up the body of Christ for advancing his mission. So that's number one. Number two, a spiritual gift is given by God's design. So if we know that the Holy Spirit gives the gifts, we know that Jesus is the one who gives us the opportunity to minister. And we learned last week that God the Father, we see the whole Trinity involved here, God the Father empowers that gift. And he's like the conductor in the orchestra. He's the one that's putting all the gifts together for it to be God's song. And he wants you in participating in your gift to be a part of that God song. And here's the third thing we looked at. A spiritual gift is for the building up of others. It's for the common good. If a spiritual gift focuses on you, then it's probably the wrong emphasis. Because God didn't give it for you. He gave it so that you could use it to build up other people. And finally, spiritual gifts are either speaking or serving gifts. You're going to find that they're either private gifts or they're public gifts. Some are more out, out, out for people to see. Uh, as you see right here, the people that are on this stage, they have more of the outward gifts. And there are some that are, have the helps gifts or the behind-the-scenes gifts. But know this, God doesn't make mistakes. Whatever gift he has, he has an intentional purpose for you. And so that's what he wants us to understand. So with that understanding, let's, let's ask the Lord to bless his word as we go into 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Dear Heavenly Father, as we look at your word, I pray that you would help us to understand still the unity that needs to be within the body of Christ. I pray that you would help us to understand that in, even in the midst of diversity, that there is a unity that, that you want us to have. I pray, Father, that you would help us to put that unity into practice in our life. And I pray that you would show us how we should do that as a Mission View Church. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. We start off with, on the outline, unity in diversity. 
And we're going to look at two aspects of the unity and diversity. We're going to look at this unified beginning and how God started the church and how he put everybody into the church. And then we're going to go on a little bit later and we're going to see that we have public and private gifts and we're going to look at that and what that means. And then we'll conclude the message with unity and practice. How are we to put these gifts together and there's going to be another list of gifts? Some of them we've covered, some of them we haven't. So we'll go through that. Let's start off with this unified beginning. Look at verse 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and were all made to drink of one spirit. Now as Paul starts off in verse 12, he is drawing the analogy of the human body. And he does it for a reason. He does it because the church and the human body have such great likeness. And so from this time on, we have the word body that appears about 18 times in our passage. And what he does here in verse 12 is he gives us a simple breakdown of the body. He says the human body is one unit, it has many parts, and it works together as one. Pretty simple. Now, if I were to ask the health professionals that are in our ministry to come up and to illustrate how the body is one unit and it has many parts, but it works together, I believe they could do that with great ease. If I called Dr. Hansen up here, for example, I believe he would begin to tell you that the complexity of the eye, it goes much deeper than one and two, one and two. Remember when you go to the eye doctor, that's all you hear. It goes much deeper than that. In fact, this is what he would probably tell you. I don't know this for certain. He's not here, but he can verify it later. I'm sure he would tell you that the eye is the most complex organ in the human body. It has so many parts that work together to operate kind of like a digital camera. Light is focused primarily by the cornea. The iris of the eye functions like the diaphragm of a camera, uh, controlling the amount of light that comes in. And then we got the, uh, the, and then the crystalline lens is located directly behind the pupil and further focuses the light. And finally, the light reaches the retina and acts like an electronic imaging sensor of a digital camera, converting optical images into electronic signals. Aren't you impressed with my knowledge of the eye? It's so amazing what you can learn from one article from the, from the internet. But for Dr. Hansen, it's much more than that. He understands. He actually understands what I just said. I don't understand it. He understands how it works. He understands how to correct it. If I was to have uh, Dr. Eisen and, and Tammy to come up here or some of the other health professionals, they could go on and on about the complexity of the body and how the body is to work together. But what we would conclude is this, that the body is one unit that has many parts that works together in a miraculous way. Now, just as amazing as the human body is, so is the church. 
so is the body of Christ. God has created us and fashioned us in such a way that is absolutely amazing. Now, he goes on, Paul goes on in verse 13 and says, okay, this is the body, but I want you to understand how we get into the body, how it develops. And I call this, go, uh, this is kind of the creation womb of the church, verse 13. And it's probably the most important verse that I think you're going to read today that we understand. Look what he says. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. What's the key word in this? One. One spirit baptized into one body. We were made to drink of one spirit. See, we know that Jesus is the one that baptizes. This passage talks about baptism. And we know that Jesus is the one, his role is to baptize us into the body. But what does that mean? Well, John the Baptist had said, hey, there's going to be a guy that comes after me that's much more powerful. And I, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And he will baptize you with fire. And he was talking about the work and the ministry of Christ. And so the baptism here, the word baptism means to place under, to place into. And so it's not talking about water baptism. We have water baptism, which we're going to have in a couple weeks. It's a symbol of what we're talking about here. The baptism that's being talked about is what happens at the moment of salvation. At the moment of salvation, we are, when we hear the message of Christ, when you hear that Jesus died for your sins, and when you understand what that commitment is all about and your need to repent and turn to God, when we hear that message and the Holy Spirit is speaking to our hearts and, and we realize there needs to be a change in my life. I look at the direction of my life and I look at what a mess I'm going, where, the, the, what my life has become. When I look at that and I have an honest assessment of who I am and where my sin has taken me, I come to that place of realizing that I need Christ. I need a Savior. And when I understand that that's the whole purpose by which Christ came, then I, I reach out for that rescue, that rescue rope, for that lifesaver, for that ability to grasp on because I am desperate. And when I understand and I grab a hold of Christ, there's something supernatural that happens. There's something supernatural according to this verse. This verse says that we're baptized. We're placed into Christ. What a beautiful thing that we would be immersed into God's family through the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful thing that in hearing about Christ, we would allow God's Spirit would come and make us new. The old is gone and the new has come. He comes and resides within us. He becomes a counselor to us. 
What a beautiful thing that he infuses us at the moment of our salvation, a spiritual gift so that we have purpose and that we can be productive in the body of Christ. What a beautiful thing that Jesus then empowers us. God empowers us that we can be used in the body of Christ. Here's the beautiful thing also. There's no distinction here. He tells us uh, there's no Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. He says, we're all equal. We all come in at equal footing, made to drink of one spirit. So my friends, here's the fact. No matter who we are or how bad we've been or what kind of things we've done in the past, if we yield to God, God says, I will come and live within you and make you a new creation. For those of you that have been believers for a long time, I hope it's a refreshing reminder of what God has done for you and me. But for those that are contemplating Christ, please understand, there's nothing he wants more than for you to come into that living relationship with a loving God and for him to make you brand new. Been trying to do your marriage on your own? You can't do that. You've been trying to do life on your own? You've been trying to make it be significant somehow? You're only going to find significance in Christ. One thing I want to point out here is this emphasis on one. Notice he says we get one spirit. And in getting this one spirit, we don't get more of the spirit. We don't get less of the spirit. We get the spirit when we come into faith in Christ. I say that because there's a teaching out there that a person, after they've given their life to Christ, has to receive the second blessing of the Holy Spirit. Now, you're not going to find anywhere in the scriptures a second blessing of the Holy Spirit. You might see someone trying to manipulate this verse to prove that point, but that teaching doesn't exist. When you get God, you get all of God, and he comes and lives with inside of you. A brother, my brother-in-law shared his story with me about how he came to faith in Christ recently. And he said he went to a church. He had never been really to a church his whole life. And so church was a, a brand new experience for him. And so he was invited to this church. And for the very first time, he heard the gospel. And he was excited about responding to it because there was something inside of him that said, yes, I need this. And so he responded and said, I wanted to give my, he wanted to give his life to Christ. So at that time, they would take the people into a little prayer room at this particular church. And the person that took them back to counsel with them said, now listen, it's time for you to receive the second blessing of the Holy Spirit. And he's like, well, I, 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 this, I, I've never been in church. What are you talking about? He says, now, what I want you to do is I, uh, the, I just want you to talk. I want you to, uh, whatever comes to your mind, and if it doesn't make any sense, that's okay. You can speak in gibberish. Just speak so that the second blessing of the Holy Spirit can come upon you. Now, what was interesting from his perspective was that something that was so simple, looking back on it, something that was so simple, the death, 
burial and resurrection of Christ and his love for us became so complicated because he had no idea what in the world they were talking about. No, in the birthing room of the church, the message is simple. The message is that we have one God who loves you. We have one problem, and that is our sin. We have one Savior who died for our sin, and we have one solution, and that we need to believe on Jesus Christ and believe that God raised him from the dead, and we will be saved. Here's the question this morning. Are you born anew in the church? Have you experienced that joy? I want to encourage you, if there's something inside of your heart, please don't leave this place without talking to somebody or coming and talking with one of the leaders in this church so that we can come alongside of you. Now he moves on into this whole public and private giftings. And he uses this analogy of the body. So bear with me because it's a lengthy passage. But let's start in verse 14. And I'm going to pause at times just to interject a few thoughts. Verse 14, he says, For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, uh, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chooses Here's just a quick summary of the verses we just read. He's basically saying, God's designed the body for us to need each other. We have to need, we can't just be independent. He says, we need each other. Then he goes on in verse 19. If we, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many, many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker and are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with great modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it. If I was to summarize this part, it would be, not only do we need each other, but we need to respect each other in that God has created us to, to need one another. Whether we're behind the scenes or out in front, there is a kind of a symbiotic relationship where there is an interdependence upon each other. And then in verse 25, he says that there may be, one, be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoices together. And in this, he's basically saying we sympathize with one another. We come alongside of each other when we're hurting. See, Paul's analogy of the body is beautiful here. His message is simple. We need each other. We need to respect each other. And as we do that, we need to come alongside of each other as we work together. 
Now, why does Paul go into this whole body analogy in the first place? He does it because the Corinthian church, the recipients of this message, it was a sick church. See, there was a few problems that were in the Corinthian church. The first problem was that they were discontent with the gifts that they were given, and they felt like they needed to have other gifts, maybe more showy gifts. And in doing so, they were questioning God's wisdom, implying that God had made a mistake. There were others in the church that had become boastful in their, in their, in their gifts because they were more public. They were in a public venue, and so therefore they thought of themselves as more important than the other gifts. The other gifts were minor compared to what their gifts were. Remember, this was a messed up church. So Paul's illustration is refuting both of these points. There's no mistakes with our gifts, and that each gift is important to God. God has designed us to respect each other and thus need each other. Now, my friends, I believe this is the brilliance of God. This is the brilliance of God that he created us in a, such a way that we must rely on each other. Because otherwise, we would have a bunch of egomaniacs running around, ru running the church. And believe me, you can see that in some places. I've been in some places in the world where it's even though it's a small church, once a person becomes the lead pastor, there's an arrogance that comes over the body and he's the person that rules the roost and he's the person that's going to call all the shots and he has the power. My friends, God didn't design the body that way. That's why we have elders. These elders hold me accountable. The, and, and I appreciate the elders and the men that God has put around me because the body is designed that we would be dependent upon each other. And there will be even times that when we're sick, when we're hurting, that we just come alongside of each other and we help. I want you to think about the three aspects of the body in, in form of a question. Here's the first question. Do you really need the other person? Do we really need each other? See, I ask that question because I think we have this tendency to live in a bit of a silo where we like to operate on our own and we operate in such a way that we don't need other people, where we don't understand other people's story, where we don't uh, collaborate with those around us in a way that we can really uh, reach out to each other. I believe sometimes that is, our, that is what we do. It's interesting, even in marriage, there are some very, very lonely people in marriage. There are some very lonely people because they're living in this little silo and nobody knows what they're going through. My challenge would be that we would need one another. That we put ourselves in a place of vulnerability. Now, I know that's not easy. I know I can hear it now. Steve, I have been vulnerable before and I got burnt. And so I just keep everybody at an arm's distance because I don't want to get hurt again. Yes, that is a risk. It is a risk because you're dealing with fallible people. There might be some 
that will deal with your life or your information in an improper way. But I believe the application is legitimate. We need each other, which means we need to be vulnerable with each other. Here's the second thing. Do we respect and honor one another? I believe in general we do. But sometimes in life, we just forget what goes on in the church and we don't even think about it. For example, let me give you two examples. You come in here and many of you drop off your children and you come into the worship service. We have a great time of worship. We get to be in the word of God. We get to be edified and encouraged. And yet we don't think that the people that are working in the children's ministry, they pretty much sacrifice two times a month their ability to come in here because they want to make this experience good for you. And they do that in taking care of your children because they love you and because they want to serve you. And they, wouldn't be the, they would be the first people to say, I'm not looking for thanks. Well, Pastor Steve is bringing it to light. Because I think that at times we just need to let those that are working in our children's ministry know how much we value them. Even though they're behind the scenes, we give honor. Are we respecting one another? Are we giving honor? Or how about those of us, how many of you really enjoy sleeping in on Sunday morning? Okay, I think there's a handful. Some of you guys are weird and you get up early no matter what. And that's, there's a few people here. But do you realize that there are some people that get here every Sunday morning, somewhere between 7.30 and 8, and they're setting up, and they set up this stage. This just doesn't magically appear. This all has, every wire has to be connected. Every uh, sign that you see has to be put out. Every children's room has to, be, uh, has to be built out, in a sense, with the toys and the gates and all that kind of stuff. And all the information table and, and the donuts don't just magically appear. There are people that come and do setup and they do teardown and they do it without recognition. But what we can do is say thank you and honor those that are using their gifts. Here's the last question. Do we sympathize with each other? And this is a little bit like the first one where we're vulnerable, but this is where in our groups, whether it's community groups, whether it's in if tables, it's we make a conscious effort to understand other people. It's where I want to know you. I want to know What's going on in your life? Vicki Freifogel has been one who has just put her nose in my business. Okay? She has texted me. She has asked me for prayer requests. All the time that she's gone through chemo and radiation and all these kind of things, she has entered into my world and said, no, I want to know what's going on with you. I think that kind of nosiness is good. It's where we learn to sympathize with each other and really understand where we are. Let's conclude the passage here in 1 Corinthians 12. 
And he's going to start, he's going to conclude by just showing how there needs to be these last list of gifts that need to be used for the body of Christ. It should be unity and practice. But notice what Paul says. He says, now you are the body of Christ, verse 27, and individual members of it. So he's basically reiterating that we need each other. But then he says something strange, verse 28. And God has appointed the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping administration of various kinds of tongues. Now, when he gives this listing, he gives that first, second, and third. And it doesn't make sense since he's talked about how everything is so important and that we are actually, it's the behind the scenes gifts that are just as important, if not more important, um, well, maybe not more important, but they're more honorable, and we should, uh, we should recognize that. I believe what he's talking about is the role of leadership. He's giving the first, second, and third to the role of leadership, but he is not stating much about the value of these gifts. He's just stating the role of leadership. And so we see these leadership principles, these leadership roles that are in the church. And so he starts off, and this is a new one if you're taking notes, the, the, the one of apostle. Now, what is he talking about as apostle? Here's the definition. He, the, the apostle is one who is sent forth with a message. It's one who is sent forth with a message. Now, we see two applications of this apostle in the scriptures. I call it the capital A apostle and the small a apostle. The capital A apostle, we see a little bit of insight when, when Judas had killed himself and in Acts chapter 1, they're trying to find a replacement for Judas and they choose Matthias by lot. And they gave the definition of what an apostle had to be. And they said he had to be an eyewitness of the resurrection of Christ. And so they were talking about the primary 12 apostles. Now, I don't believe that they necessarily had to choose lots and choose Matthias because God had chosen the apostle Paul who says, said of himself, I am the least of the apostles and don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But these were the 12 apostles that were primary in the foundation and the development of the church. But what we see in the book of Acts, as the book of Acts develops, we see a different apostle. And by the way, these apostles were often called apostles of the church. Now we see a different kind of apostle called the apostle of Christ develop in the, new te in the, in the book of Acts. We see, for example, um, uh, I lost my place, I apologize. We see uh, Titus. Titus was considered apostle in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 23. And he was not an eyewitness of Christ, but he was called an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to learn more about the apostles next week and the role within the church. So we'll just stop there. The word prophet was uh, mentioned last week. That was a public gift. Again, we said it was the ability to speak forth a message that God um, had for the purpose of edifying and building and exhorting the body of Christ. Now, a new, uh, a new uh, gift is given here in teaching. 
This was also a public gift. This gift, by definition, was one who instructs. This is one who instructs in the word of God. This is the person that not only loves to study the word of God, but loves to give the word of God in clarity. They have this ability to bring it to life, to make it simple for the people to understand. People that are teaching our children, some of them have the gift of teaching. Miracles we covered last week and healing we covered last week, so I'm going to pass over them. The, another new gift is helping. It's a private gift. This is a gift also called service. This gift comes with this unusual capacity to be faithful behind the scenes in practical ways. This is the person that is charged up because they get to do things that help build up the body of Christ and strengthen others spiritually. Now we see an example of this in Acts chapter 6 where we have the, the leaders of the church that were busy serving tables. And they said, no, this shouldn't be. Let's bring in servants, people that have this gift of serving and allow them to do that so that the leaders can be devoted to the word of God and to prayer. I want you to know every Sunday that practically happens. I am not here doing, ter- or doing setup. I'm not here in the classrooms putting them together. And I would enjoy that, but my job on Sunday morning is I get up at 6.30 and I pray through you, pray through the service, I pray through the directory, I pray through the message, and I ask the Holy Spirit to do a work in, in, in our midst. And so that's my role within the body of Christ. The other gift that he mentions here that's new is administrating. Now, this is a weird type of gift to me because I don't have the gift of administration. This is the person that loves organizational efficiency. This person loves pie charts. This person enjoys putting things in in structures. I like to be outside the box where these people are so inside the box, it's, it's, it's actually suffocating. Todd LePage is a great example. Todd is one of our elders. Todd, if you, if, if you wanted to minister to him in a special way, send him an email with a pie chart. I, I believe he would get goosebumps. I believe that would just so minister to his heart. Now the beauty is we need that in the body of Christ. The elders recognize that in our office and Kelly Hansen has that gift of organization and what a beautiful thing it is that has been to have Kelly organize pretty much the church and I do what I do and she does what she does and the rest of our staff does what they do and it's a beautiful relationship but that gift of administration is so important. And then he mentions tongues, which we said last week was the supernatural ability to speak unlearned languages. So here's the conclusion. Paul says in verse 29, he says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts And I will show you still a more excellent way. Paul's conclusion here 
is to point out that every gift is important. But I will tell you, there's something that's a little confusing. He says here, but earnestly desire the higher gift. I read a, 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 a commentary by John MacArthur this week. This is what he said in regards to this. He says, in context, this could not mean that the believers should desire the more prominent gifts when the whole chapter has just been confronting the fact that they have sinfully been doing just that. Therefore, this must be rendered not in an imperative or in a command, but as a verb form allows, as an indicative statement of fact. He says, you are desiring the showy gifts wrongly. The real imperative is to stop that and to learn the more excellent way of love, which is in chapter 13. Now, when we're not covering chapter 13, that's your homework assignment to read that. But understand that love is the more excellent way in all of these gifts. I think it's an important point to end on. Because, again, gifts for some reason, even though they should be unifying, can be very divisive in many, in many ways. But when we understand and we give grace to each other, we can understand that God has put together the body in such a way that we can sympathize with one another, we can work together, and that's what he wants us to understand. And we're going to be singing that song we sang last week. It was called Make Us One. And I want you to be thinking about, as we sing this song, I want you to think about one person, one person that you can actually thank for them using their spiritual gift. Say, I know you have the gift of helps. I appreciate that. Or I know you have this gift. I appreciate that. Let's allow this to be something that builds up the body. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the time we've had together. I thank you for giving uh, energy for the message. I thank you for uh, receptive listeners. And I thank you for what your word has to teach us. And I pray, Father, that you would do something way beyond what I can even think or imagine within our midst. I pray, Father, that there would be such a great unity within the body of Christ, that there would be such a great love and a, such a great vulnerability amongst us that people would walk away saying there is something, something special happening at Mission View Church. And Lord, we certainly pray that for the body of Christ in general, but we pray that in our, for our body as well. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.